why not me? I need to know the culture deeper, the things that people take for granted, I need to know because my kids are gonna grow up in this country. I need to know the quality of the soil I'm trying to develop roots in. listening to the Swedish podcast hosted by Jill Leckie and Kat Trigarski in conversations about the paradox of life between two cultures. Our guest on this week's episode of the podcast is Lola Akinmadi Okerström. Lola is a travel photographer and author. She's also a TEDx speaker, entrepreneur, and this September she'll be releasing her first full fiction novel, In Every Mirror, She's Black. The book centres around three black women who move to Stockholm and become linked in an unexpected way to the same influential white man. Could you tell us a little bit about Lola's origin story? We always ask our our guests, how did you arrive here, where you are now? Well, I I grew up in Nigeria and I grew Mm -hmm. up uh, in a family that really loved to travel. So before I was one, you know, we had already travelled and... Mm movement of some sort <laughs> was always going to be in my in my future but I just didn't know where it was and then when I was 15 I moved to the U.S. to start college I uh, I studied information systems you know or whatever degree my parents were willing to pay for <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so but uh, but my love for geography had always been there so I combined what I studied with geography still that creative side of me Mm. always wanted to come out you know mm. I, uh, I used to write mm. when I was younger I wrote a lot of fiction lots of short stories and when I traveled I took um, I took photos so I could paint from the photos that's actually how I got into photography okay. it wasn't anything it was just more a means to an end and so just fast forward to 2006 I met a guy online mm-hmm. well, is now my husband. So that's kind of how I ended up in Sweden. <laughs> you, know? you mentioned that you wrote short stories and so on. Um, but I read that you kind of you used to loan them out to your friends. Yes. <laughs> I, I know. So such it's such a cute it idea. Is, it is, it is kind of cute. But you know, all these uh, little books, notebooks, I, I used to handwrite all the notebooks and then I had a little sign out sheet. Uh-huh. And then they'll come in and pretty much my own little library. So my friends will <laughs> check out the book. So fiction was my uh, first love, actually. Yeah. When it comes to writing, most people don't know that. Yeah, so... because of course your first book that you self-published was Due North. Yes. Um, and then you published Logom. What was it about the Swedish lifestyle of Logom that mm-hmm. made you want to dive into you know, writing? You know, my experience as a visual storyteller, as a travel writer, I focus mostly on culture, right? Uh-huh. So anything that, that spotlights the culture of a place I'm visiting, whether mm-hmm. it's the foods, the traditions, you know, Mm. that people are keeping alive or the lifestyle. And it's because I come from a culture, from a place where we had 250 tribes speaking over 500 different languages and dialects. So for Mm. me, culture is super, super important. It's getting the nuance, understanding why we're different, why Mm. we have to be different, how we can connect, Mm. and then trying to create bridges of understanding. That's my purpose. Mm. And so all that thread is seen in all my work. And so when I did Do Not, it was about me, you know, exploring the world, traveling and then sharing stories of some of those connections. 
but logum what people don't know about logum was um i write a lot about sweden you know mm. for different publications and four years before it came out the book i'd written a piece for a, you know a publication called slate Mm -hmm. And it was called The Silence of the Swedes. And so it was a deep dive into why are Swedes not talkative? What is this culture around this kind of distance? Mm -hmm. You know, this culture where I say it's the most open society run by the most private people. Why is this mm -hmm. going on? And so when the book came about, it was because the publisher actually found the article, came to me, excited that oh logam is a trend it's a new you know and it's this and it's that and it's cozy can you write a book and i said yes but i'm have to write it from the culture society aspect so there are no recipes to make any cinnamon buns in the book you know there's no <laughs> you know yeah. it's a really objective book and it's very i can easily tell when people have not read the book uh -huh. because they assume it's just a, a glowing oh i love logam mm -hmm. but the book actually really dives into both the negatives and the positives mm. and then it this it removes logum and looks at it objectively logum as an individual ethos is an excellent ethos because yeah. it's trying to create a sustainable lifestyle for you that you can mm -hmm. maintain mm -hmm. but then when you move logum into a group setting that's where it kind of isn't great because it's doing the same thing it tries to remove stress within your life and when you move it into a group setting, it tries to do what it's supposed to do, remove stress. Mm -hmm. And that's where it, it morphs into Yante. So that's what the book is about. It was a book I wish I had when I first moved to Sweden because it really breaks down the mentality, both the goods and the bad in different contexts. Yeah, you know, like just today, um, off the back of another podcast episode that we had done, I received a message from a lady on Instagram and she said to me, you know, I'm quite newly arrived here and I'm struggling with the unwritten rules, the unwritten cultural norms that people who come here and who are new to Sweden just, just don't have a natural understanding of. I didn't know how to respond to her other than to sort of empathize and say I completely understand where you're getting from but I will go back to her and I'll recommend her to read yes. Logum because you're right yes. you're right thank you and, and it is a book that it really does break it down the last chapter is where I talk about the parts of it I've embraced and the parts of it I don't embrace as well as where it has morphed from mindfulness mm -hmm. to lack of acknowledgement you know yeah. so I really do break it down it is a really objective open yeah. honest book and so that's why uh, when people say it like, oh, you've written Logum, but I don't like it. I'm like, it's not about like or, or, or not. It's about this is what it is. And then you mm. pull what works for you. Yeah. It's like one of those things where you can have two thoughts about the same thing. You can hold two <laughs> thoughts in your head about the same thing. It's, they're exactly. not. <laughs> exactly. You know, mutually exclusive or whatever. I really like that about the idea that. Uh, you know, there is positive aspects to Logum and then there's the negative and that the negative sort of slides very, very easily into into Yanta. And I think that uh, so many articles have been written about Logum and Hygge in, in, in Denmark and, and they always just touch on this, as you say, the sort of cosy, cosy side of it. And yes. And, and and don't don't go and investigate the the backside of it, which is in in both cultures that yanta is a, a very strong concept. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, and throughout the book, I call it cousin yanta. Throughout the book, 
you know so like if logam is doing this then cousin yante isn't far behind but for me i think logam and yante are actually the same thing it's just that logam is individual yante is group but it's the same thing same ethos I could just tell our listeners that Kat and I are, are nodding furiously along. <laughs> How different though, did you find writing the, this, the first fiction book, Every Mother She's Black, yeah, compared to Logon, which was a non-fiction? So like I said before, you know, I write a lot about Sweden and Swedish culture. You know, I deep dive into the culture because I really am truly interested in it, you know, and and it's an holistic thing where it's not like I like everything, but I also appreciate everything. So I, I present Sweden very holistically, right? And so with Logam, it was actually, I wrote that book in two months. The The hardest part was just organizing the chapters because I already knew kind of what I was going to write, you know, mm -hmm. and then, so it was the hardest was outlining to make sure I covered as much as I could because I had written about the culture in different aspects, you know, fika or festivals. So it was easy to kind of bring them and, and then trying to create that thread. So mm -hmm. the book itself was written mm -hmm. in two months uh in every mirror she's black that one the idea came like that mm -hmm. because i told you i had written fiction when i was younger so a lot of those fiction was written with like a teenage voice right okay. and so i wanted to start rewriting some of those books as an yeah. adult because yeah. you know the storylines were nice but then i was struggling i was like why am i not connecting mm. Mm -hmm. So there was one I've been trying to rewrite for seven years <laughs> and I've just kept it. And then I went to the Stockholm Writers Festival and uh, Jess Laurie, mm -hmm. Jess Laurie, amazing uh, writer, author. She said, you know, sometimes the best fiction is something that's a bit closer to you, even though it's not your life. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started making the connection. I'm like, wait a minute. I have a wealth of experience. I know a lot of people, many black women have been in Sweden. I've navigated so many different parts of Sweden mm -hmm. across culture, class, career, everything. Why don't you write those voices? Because those are voices that actually aren't written. What is it to be a black woman in Sweden? And what about three different black women? Mm -hmm. Because are you, are you looking at all three of them with the same lens? Because they have different levels of privilege. Mm -hmm. And so when the idea came, I just started scribbling down, you know, the outline, the characters. I just, I'm like, oh, there has to be a guy. Something has to bring them to Sweden. And it's this guy, Johan, who is the main male character. And, and so outlining that book took about five, six months. Mm. I didn't write it. I was just creating the characters, creating their personalities, writing down scenes. So that when I actually started writing the book, it actually took four to five months to finish it. I have a question um, that's just came, come to me. You write a lot about Sweden and, yes. um, and, it's, and it's published very broadly, um, globally, in fact, um, in many different publications. Have you ever received any negative feedback i've also written a little bit about sweden and about my experiences in sweden and kat and i've even tried to get stuff published about our experiences in in sweden and it's always been met with a certain amount of condescension yeah. from various people and i just wondered how do you overcome that so first of all i'm black right so that already adds that uh, level of who do you think you are to write about my culture right mm. so i so i get that a lot mm. And then I get the conversation, especially from editors that don't trust that I actually know the subject matter. Yeah. So I'm like, but I'm here. I speak, language, I know it. And they're like, well, but, and I'll give you an example. There was an in-flight magazine where they wanted me to write a piece. 
And you know Shrove Tuesday when they eat pancakes mm -hmm. on Shrove Tuesday? And I said, we don't eat it on Tuesdays in Sweden. It's on Thursdays. They didn't believe me. They were like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, okay. And I, and I corrected them. I said, this is it. I wrote it. Come to find out right before they went to publication, they changed it <laughs> because they did not believe that no. I knew what I was talking about. And then when you go to publication, it's your name that's bylined. Yeah. Mm. So that affects my own yeah, yeah. credibility. So I was really pissed mm -hmm. about that. So I do get some of that. And then in terms of um, kind of just negative, negative, I haven't really knock on wood got okay. that. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I will say the most negative I got was when I took over Sweden's Twitter account when they were still doing the, um, mm, oh yeah, you know, the curators of the week. And, uh, and of course, you know, there, there will always be the people that pop up and then send you threats yeah. that cost you to file police you know reports actually yeah. so stuff yeah. like that so uh and just uh, one quick story i'll share is uh i got a client this was a few years ago that wanted me to create branded content about stockholm it's a really well-known beverage brand so i won't mention the name mm -hmm. so i was in the meeting and it was considering me then after just at the end it was like i googled you and and you're african so why do you write a lot about stockholm and sweden <laughs> you know so so that of course that little story is in one of my ted talks you know I, I talk about it in terms of cultural connection because why not me i need to know the culture deeper the things that people take for granted i need to know because my kids are going to grow up in this country i need to know the quality of the soil i'm trying to develop roots in so there's so many things you know you know when it comes to culture and understanding and uh, you know plus uh, anthropologists have been white people for many years <laughs> so right about other people's <laughs> culture it's interesting you should you should use that word because when you were talking earlier i was like you know this lady is a real anthropologist that's exactly <laughs> what came into my head you know you have such a passion for understanding the kind of tribal aspect of culture and what it means to people and how people develop as a society through the culture you mentioned there about doing uh, TED Talks, and I was just wondering how, how that came about, uh, the situation where you were invited to do your first TED Talk. You know, I first applied, um, pitched, because I thought I have this story that I want to share. And the story was about looking at closed doors as opportunities, as well as um, the power of why not. Because my life, you know, my career is um, kind of a metaphor representation of that word, why not? Like, why are you a travel photographer? Why not? Like, why are you a, why not? Right. And so I felt like this was a really important topic because society creates boxes for us, especially if you're from a certain place, you know, or for just, it could be anything, women, age, anything. Society tries to put you in a box. And when you start living outside of that box, society doesn't know what to do with you, tries to kind of sideline you and I was sidelined and isolated a lot so a lot of my work comes from that experience of being isolated because people didn't understand me or mm. who I was mm. you know and that's like I create my own box you don't create a box for me and so I wanted to kind of share that message so people realize that you know what it's okay to to be the awkward odd person going on your own trail doing what you're doing and not having to answer to society's boxes for you mm -hmm. so that's kind of how that uh, came about 
Mm-hmm. The idea that you came up with for In Every Mirror She's Black, you mentioned before that it was, you know, it came to you like that. Yes. Um, and it's, it's about your experiences and or not. No, that's not right. It's, it's not about uh, your experiences. Exactly. I just want to say that I am not any of the characters, but I'm also one of the characters. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because all of them, every single part of the book mm-hmm. also comes from things or inspired by people I've met based on just a lot of experience. I mean, even the Somali character who is the refugee Mona, that comes from a real place, an asylum center I used to visit. For two years, I was going there as a photographer, working on a photo project. So that and it's spending my time there and listening to their stories. I said, these stories need to come out because a lot of people in Sudan do not know this side. They only know about maybe immigrant communities or they've, you know, once they've started integrating, but they don't know about their asylum centers, mm-hmm. you know, when at the height. Plus, you know, Muna ends up working as a janitor. When I was 17, I worked as a janitor mm-hmm. as well, you know, so there's that connection. There's obviously the connection with the marketing executive. I made a Nigerian American so I could pull from my own, exp- like, not mm-hmm. experiences, but like my cultural references. Yeah, so all of those characters are really well drawn i really wanted them to be very unique and i also wanted them to be able to make mistakes and be individuals and humanize them deeply yeah yeah and i think for me that has what has touched me so much about the book is mm-hmm. how human every character is and it's clear from a reader's perspective that every aspect of these characters narratives have in some way been experienced because they're so clearly shaped within the book so much so as a as a reader you sort of feel and it sounds really cliched but you kind of you can feel and see everything that is happening on that page in your mind's eye and it's you know I I I don't often experience that with books I mean I I really have to (laughs) Oh, thank you. You know, oh keep going, God. keep going. No, but it's true. But oh it, God, you know, it's, it's it's beautifully, it's absolutely beautifully written. No, thank you so much. No, I, and uh, you know, this book was rejected seventy times. Most of the rejections came with really wonderful words. <laughs> you know, like definitely written, fresh, unique, la la la. But we don't think the audience can connect, or we we don't know how to position it to market it because it's a book that sits in the middle. Yeah. It's, it sits between commercial and literary, plus it centers black women. So the, the book is a, it's a book that challenges a lot of people, challenges a lot mm-hmm. of subjects. It's gonna piss some people off, but that's why it needed to be written, so. <laughs> yeah, I, th- yeah, yeah I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I also wanted a book that was fresh and modern Mm-hmm. Because I am an African writer in the diaspora, and mm-hmm. when you think of African writers, they want most of them write literary fiction, or they have to, it has to be like set in Africa with like prose that's just so flowery, you know. And yeah. I started that way, and I was like, you know what? Screw that! Mm-hmm. I'm going to write a book that I really want to write, want to read, feels fresh, feels modern, feels contemporary, feels relatable, and not do what society expects of me as an African writer in the diaspora if I want to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to write a book that was just people can just connect with or read and and the, the you know it's with good writing but also that 
they don't have to go crack a dictionary to open yeah, and read, yeah. you know yeah um, yeah so <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it's a completely different side of sweden and it's not bad too you know and that's the thing i want to show is that it's not the bad side of sweden it's just that what does sweden feel like for somebody that doesn't look like me exactly more representation of that, definitely. You, you, you were saying there that um, it got rejected uh, so many times because they couldn't sort of put it in a neat little box that the book didn't fit in those little boxes that, that the publishing houses had. Do you think that there is is hope that the industry can become more diverse and open itself up to, to more writers? Absolutely, and it should. And, and I'll talk about a, an amazing writer called Disha Filio. So Disha just... She published a book of short stories called The uh, Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Small book by a university press. This book got rejected by the major publishers and fast forward to this year, that book has won so many awards, has been shortlisted for the National Book Award and has also been optioned for a series by HBO, right? And they just wrote an amazing article about Disha that this book just won so many awards, but why didn't publishers want it? So now it's a reckoning to say, why are publishers, when they see talented, when writers, when they see it, mm -hmm. why don't they want to publish it? Yeah. And it's that status quo that needs to break because there are so many amazing writers of color mm -hmm. who are kept, kept getting denied and rejected and rejected. And so they are doubting their own voice. Am I good enough when their books are excellent? Yeah. When the publishers know those books are going to clear all the awards, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, so it's very systemic. It needs to break, you know, and, and I'll tell you this, uh, we actually got, uh, a Swedish publisher that was interested in, in every mirror she's black, but, but that publisher came and said, first of all said, you know, um, it's great that Lola as an outsider has this perspective on Sweden, right? And then says, we really like the writing, it's strong, la la la, except Muna's character, can you tone it down a bit, maybe take out some scenes because we are worried maybe a Swedish audience may not agree with some. Already trying to kill the message of the book. In, in other words, tone down your lived experiences because I don't agree with it. Yeah. What an insult, right? So I, so I of course, tweeted saying, you know, um, I didn't go through 70 rejections for my <laughs> book to come die on your desk. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't make sense. And the book is varied. It's not a book filled with strife. It's just a book telling people's stories. It may make some other people uncomfortable, but it's just telling truth. Mm -hmm. Kind of maybe going back a little bit to that Yanti Logan that we talked about earlier. Yes, tone down yourself yeah, exactly. because you're making me uncomfortable. You're stressing me out. Exactly. <laughs> so I do have one question for you that we have to talk about. Yes. So I've already started thinking about who I would like to play these characters. <laughs> yes. In this book. Yes. Um, have you have you got them lined up? Have you got the actors and actresses lined up that you would want to play if the book was optioned? Oh yeah, yes, I've done that. I've even <laughs> tweeted about it. I've even tagged them, you know, publicly. <laughs> you know, like just manifesting into the universe. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, uh, something that's really interesting was um, with the character of Yo Johan, you know, and as you read more, you're going to see how he develops as a character. He's a very complex character mm -hmm. and is a character that's also very intense. Mm -hmm. And so when I was writing that role, I was like, this role is for Alexander to play. 
And we were talking about Alexander Skarsgård. Exactly, because I'm, because, I'm, exactly <laughs> because I'm on first name basis with him, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Has the book been optioned? Not yet. No. We have, but I don't know, but, but, but we have, um, it's, uh, it's represented by CAA, Creative Artist Agency, which is pretty much the number one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. agency out there. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. And so they are now selling, they're in the process of selling the rights. So, so you'll know as soon as possible once, you know. That's <laughs> so, so they are, exciting. So they, are, so, they are represent, so they are representing the the rights and looking for the rights. Uh, uh, we've got some interest, some people that got interested and wanted uh-huh. to read the script and stuff uh-huh. like that. But we're, we're, we have our eyes on what, what we really want to go. But I honestly, I cannot think of a single other series or film that is based around that, the same narrative of, yeah. you know, African diaspora in Sweden. In the Nordics, really. No, there's nothing. Or in the, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. In the whole Nordics, nothing. Correct. And, and if you find those, they're usually, they usually just focus on the refugee aspect. And what I'm trying to do is re, um, focus on different dimensions. So someone that actually comes for work, that's a career established woman, a refugee as well, trying to integrate, but also somebody that just comes for love you know mm. how to navigate that mm. so mm. so no there isn't it's super it's very unique and that is also why i waited to find a traditional publisher yeah. because i've already my first book was self-published the mm-hmm. second one was published by a big five by mm-hmm. a, you know but this one i was contemplating after like the 40th rejection i was like should i just self-publish but i'm like no because the idea is so unique mm-hmm. and different that if I self-publish and it gets poached and then somebody published, that would devastate me. Like yeah. it will, because then there'll be a big publishing house behind that, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'll, so I said, you know, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, no. So, so now I'm super grateful that we have source books, the U S who is leading it. It's one of their lead ad covers. And now, uh, head of Zeus in the UK, it's also one of their lead ad covers. So I'm just, grateful and ecstatic yeah. for the journey i think we i think it needed the timing was right like i needed to go through those 70 rejections to find the right the mm. right ones mm-hmm. i can't even begin to imagine going through 70 rejections oh i'm used to rejection no, but, but especially <laughs> when it's something that you you put so much of your soul into i mean i know that you bear your bones to yeah. it yeah. and then to have somebody come along and be like mm, yeah. computer says no and you're like yeah. oh. exactly <laughs> And, and, and the thing is that it, it, it lets you start beginning to doubt your voice. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thing. Definitely. And, and the good thing is for, for 10 years as a freelancer, I used to publicly share what I call my pitching chats, mm-hmm. which is when I pitch a magazine, did they accept me, reject me, assign me? And I used to publish that publicly for 10 years with a pie chat to show wow. people how many rejections I got. I mean, so that that, had already conditioned me to trust my voice. So yeah. the rejection, when I get rejection, it's usually not as to do with you or your talent, but just okay. the right fit. And then of course, also knowing that the book was very different, I knew it was going to be challenging for mm-hmm. them, you know, for some publishers mm-hmm. to go out on a limb or because they have, because it's just so systemic and status quoish. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the biggest thing with rejection is don't let rejection make you doubt your voice don't ever let it make you doubt your voice because most of the time it has nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. 
I think that's a pretty key takeaway from this. I, I've looked at that page that you've, uh, or the pages that you've produced on that when I first started uh, freelancing as a writer. Yes. And it actually <laughs> gave me, it gave me such a boost to think, mm. you know, where you, where you were at that point. I mean, this is sort of beginning of 2019 and I could look at you and see all the publications that, that, that you'd written for. I mean, amazing um, mm. stellar publications mm-hmm. and just think, okay, I can go back all those years and yes. see how your career has has taken off and yeah. to have that confidence to know that okay Lola got rejected this many times and she's an amazing writer so you know it was just, so your rejections gave me a massive boost is what I'm trying yeah, to no, say no, yeah, but... thank you thank you and you know you know and it's a it's a lot of us don't know how to self-assess right mm-hmm. and that is what doing that annual audit does it allows you to self-assess to see what am I doing wrong? So for example, the rejections, especially the notes, the editors give you a, a hint. Oh, sorry, we've already published something similar. Oh, sorry, we've already published this. That means maybe I'm too late. When an event happens, maybe I'm pitching too late, pitch yeah. right away or saying, oh, thank you. You know, So the notes actually give you as a writer things to do to uh, to recalibrate and that's what I did it's to recalibrate every year so that I pitched less but increased my acceptance rate mm-hmm. based on those notes and yeah I bet one thing that wasn't pitched too late was the article that you wrote for was it the New York, New York Times yeah the yes. New York Times yeah <laughs> Ooh, that went a bit viral and I was actually expecting a lot of backlash from it but I think it resonated and I think that's oh, yeah. what my purpose is to write in a way that makes the person understand before they just lash out in anger. Because mm-hmm. I think when you break down something, then it makes somebody step back, mm-hmm. even though they may not agree, they see it from a different angle mm-hmm. and a little bit before they lash. Mm-hmm. So knock on wood, you know, that is, you know, and, and knock on wood, hopefully that's what this book is going to do, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, just so that article was um, born because my daughter, when especially when George Floyd, what mm-hmm. happened in the U.S., which was mm-hmm. horrendous, and you know the little kids in Sweden seen this, but but I don't know how their parents are explaining it to them, so they just see that, and you know Sweden always says bad things happen other places, not in Sweden, mm-hmm. right? So they were talk, telling my daughter that, oh, you have to protect your mom or because she's black, you know, or, uh, oh, and then, they, and then the next day they come and tell, oh, my, like, oh, we feel sorry for you because you're brown to my daughter, you know. And then I'm, and I say, okay, I get it. Kids are curious. They, they are concerned about their friends, but how are the conversations being had at home? Yeah. It, uh, is it seeing yourselves as white saviors to protect other people because they have no agency? You know, yeah. and that was kind of how the article evolved because I said, you know, a lot of us in Sweden, we love Sweden. We really do. That's yeah. otherwise we won't pay all our damn taxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Especially true. if you have a small business, 50% damage. You're oh. like everything. So we love, it's not that we love, but at some point you should be able to give constructive feedback to somebody you love. Yeah. And that is what a lot of, all of us immigrants, right? I've been a hard time. It's like you can't say anything because you need to be grateful forever for the rest of your life to eternity. 
-hmm. And the article is like, that's not sustainable. That's not the point. Mm. Just because you do not agree on a subject doesn't mean you're ungrateful. Yeah. It just means I also have experiences that can make things better. I also have lived experiences that can create even deeper understanding, deeper connection. Yeah. So I need to be able to vote. So that was what the article really was about, you know, saying that if you keep looking at a certain group of people with a frame lens, then you're always going to keep looking at them as second class, as the others, mm -hmm. whereas you are the default. You know, my daughter, she's left-handed. She's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Not just because she's my daughter, but she just is, you know. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and so she says, oh, she's the only left-handed in her class. She started feeling odd. And I'm like, do you know who is left-handed? Obama, Oprah, like I mentioned, <laughs> all the amazing left-handed people. I'm like, girl, you're a genius. Nobody should ever feel sorry for you. Yeah. And that was the point of that article is the conversations we have at home also trickle down to the kids, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, I think the point that you make is all I want to do is to make this place a better place. I don't want to, I, you know, I'm not here to, to badmouth it. I'm not here to talk yeah. down to it or, you know, whatever. It's just about going, listen, everybody's experiences are going to make this a better place. So if we just yes. call talk about it, sometimes it's difficult to get that across. No, no, I understand. <laughs> and, and, it, and it comes from the cultural kind of lack of acknowledgement where if we don't acknowledge something, then it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I say I am one of Sweden's biggest ambassadors. I really, truly am. Of all the stuff I've written about this country, I care about this country, but I'm also not one dimensional. Yeah. So I can today write about the amazing experience in West Sweden for a travel magazine and the next day write something that's a bit more critical. Yeah. We are not one dimensional. So yeah. just because I write something that's a bit more critical, that doesn't mean I don't love it because I'll yeah. keep promoting, you know, the the wilderness and the nature and, and the travel experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think people need to have space to give space to be multidimensional. Yeah. Because society tries to make us all one-dimensional, be this way. Think. And that was what happened at the beginning of the pandemic, mm -hmm. was when foreigners started feeling uncomfortable with the policies. Mm. And then Swedes started re retaliating with kind of Swedes explaining that, but this is how it is, you do not understand. Then they started creating a bit of a rift, right? Yeah. It's like, yes, I understand. I have access to the exact same information you do, but yeah. I'm still not comfortable. Yeah. And it's being able to give each other that space to say, it doesn't mean I, I don't love Sweden. It just means I'm not comfortable at this stage with some of the decisions yeah. we made. Yeah. So that is kind of where we're going to. And, and I think uh, this quote, is, which is in the book, and I think you might have read it, is actually a real life quotes statement that somebody said to me at the asylum center and he said to me lola i'll rather go back home and die fighting for something than die here in paradise doing nothing mm -hmm. and mm. that when he said that to me it broke me and that was also one of the seeds that said i have to write something these voices mm -hmm. need to come out because it's not about being ungrateful mm -hmm. it's about purpose yeah mm -hmm. most people want to contribute yeah. to society they want to feel like i'm doing something i'm giving people give back by contributing and if you don't let people do that if you put barriers and barriers and barriers then it dehumanizes people and mm -hmm. then people begin to be resentful so i don't really want to take up any more, more of your time but 
What is next? For me, I just, I go day by day and just put out as long as it ties back to my why and my purpose, then it feels right, then I do. And my purpose is pretty much cultural connection, creating that kind of fostering of understanding because lack of understanding usually is what causes people to feel isolated. If I don't really understand somebody truly, their experience, then I just isolate them, put them away. And I've felt isolation. I still feel it sometimes in parts of Sweden, but it's that isolation that I'm fighting against and saying that my purpose is how can I keep creating more cultural understanding of facilitating that connection? So that ties everything I do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's as, as far-fetched as my startup, which is local purse, you know, which again facilitates cultural, you know, connection virtually. Everything ties down to how am I learning more about a culture? How am I respecting parts of it? How am I squeezing myself as a cultural ambassador to facilitate more understanding? So as long as my purpose Mm. is tied into that project and I see it, then I'll probably take on. So for now, I don't know what project it will be, but I know right now, the next few months, if you are tired of me talking about the book, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm follow right now because it's just starting. It's, you know, it's, it literally is just our English, yeah, really right? Yeah. Starting, so, it's gonna, so, so you're going to get tired soon. <laughs> so the book In Every Mirror She's Black is going to be published in September 2021. Yes. So the US version is in September. The UK version comes out in October and we're just signing now with a Nigerian publisher as well. Awesome. So. Fantastic. Thanks. I have mine already pre-ordered, so I'm gonna... Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I am going to get you to sign it when we see each other in person of at some course, point. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Kat, do you have anything, any final questions for Lola? I just would like to say uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And I think you've uh, you sort of left me with a, with a new mantra, which is, uh, why not? <laughs> why not? Exactly. No, thank you. Thank you. It's been amazing just being with you today. And uh, yeah, why not? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. As ever, you can rate and review us via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, basically any good podcasting platform. You can also find us on Instagram at the underscore Swede underscore ish. And also on Facebook, we now have a Facebook page called The Swedish Podcast. So please help us by going over to those platforms and liking and following and letting us know what you think. Bye.